Well, we'll pull apart tonight's budget tonight with three guests who've been closely watching tonight's events. Joining me is uh, economics writer for The Age, Peter Martin. Peter, good evening and welcome to uh, Night Love. G'day. Uh, also uh, joining us tonight, the CEO of the Australian Council of Social Service, Cassandra Goldie. Cassandra, good to have you on the program as well. Yes, good evening. And uh, also joining us, Research Manager at the Centre for Independent Studies, Simon Cowan. Simon, lovely to have you as uh, well with us. Welcome to Nightlife. My pleasure. Well, let's start with some general impressions. Uh, what, what kind of budget is this, uh, Peter? A budget built on um, hope. Uh, but uh, also luck. You know, what was it Napoleon said? He, he wanted a general who was lucky rather than one mm. who was uh, actually necessarily good at the job. Morrison has been lucky. We have uh, had an extraordinary boost in, uh, well, company tax revenues up 22% in the last year. We've had an extraordinary boost in uh, revenue because of higher mining prices and companies using up their losses. Um He's taken that. It's worth $35 billion over the forward estimates. That's uh, the government's estimates, assuming that most of it stays. Uh, and by the way, this is just since December, an extra $35 billion. And he's spent $13 billion of that um, on tax cuts, on uh, on all sorts of things. Now, he's broken his own budget rules. The budget rules say that if uh, things improve because of a better economy, you've got to bank, save the money. He hasn't done that. He's given it away and is hoping the good times continue. Well, he's given it to half of it away, hasn't he? And he's, he's sort of yeah. ho- hoping that... Uh, so, I mean, a cynic might suggest that there is more in the tank there if he needs it closer to election time. Uh, in a way, there is, you know. Um, Labor can outspend him. That's, uh, that, that's a problem because mm. Labor isn't going ahead with the company tax cuts. Uh, Labor's uh, winding back negative gearing, capital gains tax concessions, also dividend imputation. Labor's got more money in the kitty than him. I see a way uh, that um, he's going to put the company tax cuts up for a vote, and I reckon if they get voted down, he might, reluctantly, walk away from them and uh, use them for extra tax cuts in the kitty. But right now, his, uh, he, I mean... He could have been less economically responsible. He could have given all of the extra money away mm. in uh, tax cuts. It's not only tax cuts, by the way. It's um, looking after the most favoured people in the entire history of the nation, which are the baby boomer generation, who are now getting to be uh, retired, with uh, all sorts of measures to make life uh, easier for them. So it, it's, uh, it's tax cuts wrongly described as being for low- and middle-income earners. They're not. They're for everyone. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, continued largesse for people who, who got it when they were in their 20s, got it when they were in their middle age, and are now getting it uh, mm. in their you, retirement. You say lucky because what he, he's presuming, of course, the treasurer, that is, is presuming that the conditions which conspired to give him uh, the additional revenue are going to continue. Is presuming nothing goes wrong. Um, and in a way, the Treasury always has to forecast nothing goes wrong. <laughs> they, they, they don't forecast the unexpected. Um, but uh, uh, they do have a, an assessment of the risks, uh, you know, the risks weighted to the downside or not. Now, the Treasury's assessment is the risks aren't weighted to the downside for the next two years. Beyond that, um, they think they are. But uh, beyond that... Uh, uh, their views uh, don't, uh, don't really matter because uh, 
the way the budget works, there are forecasts for two years, what the Treasury believes, then projections, which are sort of automatic mm. um, beyond that. But look, he's lucky, he's lucky because of the economy and assuming right now that things continue. He's also lucky because of a few technical things. One is that, um, you remember that future fund that Peter Costello set up? Yes. Yeah, that, that was to pay for public servant superannuation. And the rules, as uh, they evolved, said that um, it'll be used, the, the, the income from it won't go on to the budget because it's to pay for super. It'll be used right up until 2021 or 2020 to 2021. And that year is approaching. And from that year onwards, because of these rules, regardless of whether or not uh, public service super has uh, been funded, that income, $4 billion a year, which is growing each year, goes into the budget. Very fortunate timing for the Treasurer. So uh, mm. he's been lucky in all sorts of ways. And uh, he, as you said, and I think you've summed it up exactly correctly, he's spending half his luck. Mm. OK, Simon Cowan, to you. Um, you say it isn't a particularly special budget, neither here nor there. Your, your overall impressions? Oh, look, I think the Treasurer is uh, taking a dollar from Australians, giving them 20 cents back and asking them to pat him on the back. Uh, you know, we, we've seen an increase in revenue from 2016-17 to 2019-20 of nearly $100 billion. Now, the improvement in the budget bottom line over that period is about $35 billion, which gives you a sense of, you know, exactly how big of a windfall we've found. Um, and, you know, if you look at things like the, the tax cuts... For individuals, in at the end of the forward estimates, they're they're looking at costing something like nine billion dollars a year, a cost that will grow as the as of course as the the package comes online. But the increase in uh, revenue from income tax, from personal income tax, will be something in the order of forty five billion dollars over the amount that it's paid this year. So by the way, that, that includes the company the the personal income tax mm, cuts. Mm. Mm. Can, can I just point out, Simon's made a very important point, uh, which is that uh, his, he wants to be rewarded for uh, these income tax cuts uh, because they're giving back bracket creep, but they're only giving back some of the bracket creep. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, I'll get to the tax cuts in a moment because I think they are uh, rather odd tax cuts in other ways as they're well. Very <laughs> yes, in other ways as well. Cassandra Goldie, uh, Chief Executive of the Australian Council of Social Service. Cassandra, your, uh, your thoughts, your general impressions on the budget? Well, um, we were of a very similar view, frankly, to um, where Chris Richardson landed last week with his, um, when he was sort of certainly one of those highlighting what is in the budget, which is this significant increase in re revenue take. Mm. Um, and um, he was cautioning against giving away a whole lot in personal income tax cuts, and that's exactly what we've got tonight. Um, the you know the factors playing into the increase in revenue are not guaranteed. They're certainly not. We can't bank on them for the future, um, and we've immediately sort of given given this sort of tax cut away. At the same time as um, you know the, the treasurer said this is about reducing cost of living pressures. Well, what's the top priority? You know, wouldn't it be for people who are on the lowest incomes in the country? Mm. Um, as Chris Richardson said, we agree what should have been in this budget, and it's shameful tonight that it wasn't. 
um, to get finally that increase to the new start why, payment, why, which why, would that, affect that, people on uh, you know over yeah. a million people. That was curious. Who wasn't are it? really on the lowest incomes? Yeah, that was um, curious. Who desperately wasn't it? need relief. It was curious, wasn't it? Because there's a there seems almost universal agreement. Uh, in fact, any fair minded well, person is, looking at new, from the government, look, looking at new start in business. I mean, the business lobby themselves think that new start's too low. Almost everybody, right. almost everybody does. What, what, why do you think the government didn't move here? That's right. Well, you tell me. You know, no can, tell you, can, can I tell you, Cassandra? Feel free. I think we all. Well, we've... Simon suggested there's no votes in it, and there there may well be something in that. Um, it's expensive. It costs two to three to to increase New Start by is it fifty dollars a week? Seventy five dollars uh, yeah. a week. That that would cost three billion dollars a year. Mm. That's the problem. It's like one of these, um, you know, um, if you don't repair a piece of clothing and uh, it starts to fray, it just gets bigger. If you'd made the stitch in time, if you'd um, increased New Start by wages as, as mm. pensions have been increased. Um, it wouldn't have got further and further and further and further away from pensions and even further away from the minimum wage. And now but, it, but, but, it, it's increasingly to, needed just, to fix it, up, but it's expensive. Tonight, yeah, get back to you, straight, <clears throat> straight to the argument that it's too expensive to do it. It's, ex, it's, it's very expensive. It's, it, 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 it is expensive for us not to do it. I'm sorry. We, we, over here, we've had a debate about you know, funding um, for disadvantaged children in the education system. Now, a core reason for the level of disadvantage amongst children in the education system when they get to primary school is because of the growing pre uh, prevalence of child poverty in Australia, the socioeconomic circumstances of families who are living below the poverty line. And, you know, you go across into the health system and we know all of the social determinants of health, the costs in terms of is about, in the end, socioeconomic status I in guess many cases. So let me just let... Peter, you've... I just want to stay with this for a moment. Yeah, because stay with it, Cassandra. There, yeah. there is, there, it's not like Chris Richardson can't do the numbers as well on this right, in terms of what it would cost. Uh, but, but if you were to be disciplined at this time when there is the, there is the revenue there, the government has um, um, taken billions out of the Social Security system, saved a lot, uh, cut a lot out of the social security system, this was the budget to finally deal with the new start. Absolutely, it should have been dealt with a long time ago. And if, the longer you leave it, the more cost there will be to get it to somewhere near that's adequate. Mm. But we will absolutely stand by that as being the top priority. Okay. Um, and, and um, you know, because it's a, a budget that, on the other hand, is saying we can afford to do personal income tax cuts makes it particularly galling, I think, tonight. Oh, I think the thing here... And in fact, they're still planning to cut Social Security payments. The energy supplement cut, as far as we can tell, that zombie measure is still in the budget. So the government plans to take $4 per week away from people on Newstar mm, okay. um, and cut that energy supplement. So overall, from your point of view, Cassandra, pretty disappointing by the sound of it. Well, uh, there, of course, there are some good... You know measures in this budget. I mean, there's the you know increased fourteen fourteen thousand um, home aged care packages um, and some other positive measures in the aged care areas. Peter highlighted there's quite a few measures that are um, designed to help people, older people in mm. the community. Okay. Um, but in some ways, the aged care package highlights the other big concern we've got about the government's approach to delivering tax cuts so quickly off the back of a good news story on revenue. <laughs> is that the gap in aged care home packages is actually 100,000 
the backlog of people waiting to get a, a home aged care packages, <clears throat> excuse me, is 100,000. Mm. So it almost highlights where we are at in terms of the gaps in essential services. We, you know, the Treasurer wanted to say this budget guarantees essential services for the future. It clearly does not. Mm. All right, look, I want to move on to the big, uh, big items, uh, in particularly the tax cuts, aged care funding, infrastructure, company tax cuts in a moment. But Newstart was a glaring, seems it seemed a glaring omission to many. Was there anything else before we move on to tax cuts in particular that you think was a glaring omission to for, to either uh, anybody on the panel? Well, my sense that the thing that we haven't seen resolved is the the issue of that was the heart of the Medicare campaign at the last election. And while we've seen an increase in funding for PBS drugs and some other areas, what they don't have is a grand resolution of the issues in health that the way they managed to resolve them, mm-hmm. um, or at least they can argue they resolve them in education. And, and I expected, you know, there's talk in the budget about a, a hospital's agreement between the states and, you know, that may well turn out to be the case. But I would have thought thought that they would have put something in this budget aimed at blunting any Medi-Scare campaign for the next election, given how successful it was last time. Mm. Okay. <laughs> All uh, right. Uh, what, what? Look, it would, it's very, <clears throat> excuse me, important in terms of what's not in the budget, and it's, a, it's always, I believe, one of the best questions, really, what should they have done, um, that, um, you know, housing affordability... Um, if you were to, again, on this sort of reducing the cost of living, the biggest cost of living for people is actually their housing costs. Um, and there were some modest measures in the budget last year, um, but um, overwhelmingly they were to help people who were on sort of mod- more modest incomes rather than people on low incomes. There was nothing in the budget last year to deal with the situation for people renting um, and social housing. Nothing well, in this they, budget Although they had again. the bond so aggregator this, in the last budget, didn't they? They did, but Simon, uh, any of the uh, the um, those who are associated with the financing packages that you might get from that say that the financing gap is too big to get to sort of low income housing. It'll It'll only get you somewhere in terms of capped uh, rent to market, Mm, Um, so the so-called affordable housing. So it will definitely, we hope, increase the supply of some of the sort of so-called affordable housing stock, key worker type, um, you know, households, but it won't do anything for social housing for people on very low incomes. And so this this is, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, these moments where you say, oh, housing affordability was last year. Well, <laughs> hmm. all right. Let's let's move on to the tax cuts. I, I made the comment that they're a bit strange. <laughs> uh, they are in a way, aren't they, uh, Peter? Maybe to you first here. The, the for a start, they seem to offend against a basic rule of politics that if you're going to an election, surely you offer a tax cut uh, in people's pocket before the election occurs or at the time the election occurs. These tax cuts actually don't arrive in people's pockets until possibly a year later, do they? Yeah. Look, firstly, the treasurer is wrong when he he said uh, beforehand that these would be tax cuts for low and middle income earners. They're not. Um, They're using a mechanism that could work for low and middle income earners, which is uh, um, a variant of the LIHTO, which is the low income tax offset. They're introducing an extra one on top of it. They're calling uh, the low and middle income Mm -hmm. uh, tax offset. They have to call it that, otherwise they'd be completely shameless because uh, it uh, has some benefit all the way up to $120,000. Now, you may think that's low and middle income. But you don't get anything by then anyway, do you? Well, 
that that's where I mean, it cuts me, out. Median taxable income at the moment. Where are we at? You know, if you take into account part-time workers, it's about fifty-five, sixty. Yeah, I mean, I agree, only I agree 20% with that. Of people Let's remember and, that. And I, I think that's <laughs> right. But by 125, to be fair, you don't, under his scheme, you don't get anything either. It's phased, well, that's, it's yeah, well, that's out not true. I mean, that, that 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 would be true if it left it at that. But um, then he also uh, increases uh, the second highest tax threshold from 87,000 to 90, meaning that James Packer will get a, a tax cut. Right. Everyone will get a tax that, cut as, as a result of And, of course, of the, in the last budget, they increased it from 80 to 87, so that cost the budget $4 billion and here we go again. So, 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 so you, you know, you can look at your table, and uh, I can see right here that someone on $200,000 will get a tax cut. It's, it's an odd, um, odd arrangement, um, which I can sort of see why they've done it, but they've sort of undone um, the work by, by that other and thing. And in a way... But then what they have... Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'd you know, well, just like your comment on this too. In a way, too, they've flattened the tax system quite a lot, haven't they? This is right. So, the, so, so I mean, we like progressive tax... Or I thought we liked progressive taxation. That is Some of us you, like progressive tax, <laughs> that's not true, all of us. That is true, Simon. Well, there are views about it. But but uh, but the, the government has moved more to a flatter tax system here than they have than we've got at the present, hasn't it? But not yet. So by 2024-25... Hopefully, Phil will still be alive uh, by then. Uh, no, it's in seven years' time. Uh, it's They want to legislate right now a program for what's going to happen over the next seven years, mm. regardless of the fact that uh, anything might happen over the next seven years, including these rosy forecasts not turning out. But well, um, And three elections. Well, yeah, exactly. right. well yeah, the rate at which we have them, which is about every two years, that would be right. See, old um, heads like you, Simon, would remember all the way back to the 90s with the LA law tax cuts that could never ever, <laughs> promises that could never ever yeah, be broken. But, <laughs> but, but, but let's look at what the, sh- the schedule is. And you're right, it's a, it's a very flat schedule. So... Um, uh, what will be legislated, I doubt if this will pass, but mm. what will be legislated uh, for 2024-25 is um, a tax-free uh, threshold. Um, beyond uh, that, uh, beyond $18,200 to, uh, to $40,000, you have a 19% tax rate. And then, just imagine this, from 41000 all the way through to two hundred thousand. It's the same which is rate. Frank, frankly, mm. as far mm. as you, the eye can see, thirty-two point five, and then only above that. Only if you go above um, two hundred thousand, and the Kylie Minogue song "I Should Be So Lucky" is going through my head. Only if you do will it jump up to forty-five. That's effectively flat. Now, this was recommended by Ken Henry. He wanted this sort of um, architecture. He thought it'd be good for simplicity. Um, is probably right. Uh, one of the interesting things about uh, an apparently flat system as this is it's actually quite progressive. Strange but true because uh, of the difference between average and marginal rates. Um, it, uh, it, it has a lot of theoretical justification for it. It's very nice. It would take us a long while to get there. I don't think it will ever happen, but uh, it's going to be legislated or they're going to try and legislate it uh, for a seven-year mm. All right, Cassandra, I'll come to you shortly uh, on this too, but I want to hear it from each of you about this. I mean, Simon, you, you correctly point out that not everyone's in favour of progressive taxes and some people will like a flatter tax system. From your point of view, how do you see these tax cuts? Are they, are they the sorts of tax cuts that uh, you, you think are, to use the Treasurer's words, affordable and funded and it's not a giveaway? 
Well, I, th- I think it's certainly not a giveaway. Any time that, that people get their tax dollars back in their pockets is a positive as far as I'm concerned. Um, I have concerns about the timing of them simply because I think a, a seven-year time frame is too long. Uh, there's no realistic chance, you know, that hmm. the circumstances will allow those to sit untouched for that period of time because as, as you know I think uh, both Costello and Keating observed at various points in time the easiest uh, cuts to make are the ones that haven't you know yet taken effect that's so you know that's going to be the first thing on the chopping block um, I think they're trying to avoid the uh, idea they're handing out most of the benefit to high income earners which is why this is structured as a tax offset that diminishes rather than a tax cut um, to the levels and the margins and I, I think they're They've probably identified the right target area. Um, one of the concerns that, that we had was that as the minimum wage continues to rise and the tax brackets remain static, uh, it was only a, a period of two or three years before someone earning the minimum wage would have been in the third tax bracket and be paying something like 36 cents in the dollar when you take away the low-income tax offset and add your Medicare levy. So that's an extraordinary amount for someone earning the minimum wage to be paying in marginal taxes. So I think they've identified the right bracket, and but I, uh, I must confess I share some of Peter's scepticism about the high end of this actually being implemented, despite the fact that there are good grounds for it to be done. Mm. Simon Cowan from the Centre for Independent Studies with us, Peter Martin, Economics Editor for The Age, and Cassandra Goldie for, from the Australian Council of Social Services. Cassandra, your, your, uh, your, your thoughts on the, the tax cuts? Mm. Uh, you, you say they're wrongly targeted anyway, that the lowest income earners don't get the maximum benefit anyway. Well, that's right. So if you're lucky and you're earning up to about 37000 you'll get... We reckon about two hundred. It's about four dollars a week, mm-hmm. um, and then you know up to forty-eight thousand. You know between four and eleven. I think the maximum you're likely to get is about eleven dollars a week if you're between forty-eight thousand and ninety thousand dollars. That's how we done the numbers on it. So um, you know if we come back to where the <clears throat> sort of you know below fifty percent of the population are. Um, this isn't even at this point we're actually really targeting it to people who uh, are the, you know most needing a few dollars back. And, and what I come back to here is if we what we're doing is trying to provide relief for people to cover the costs to live with dignity. And you look at people who are let's say in that sort of income levels up to thirty seven thousand, right? That which should be our biggest concern. You know, individuals and their households who are living that life. Uh, this isn't what you would do. Um, you would, I mean, the, the government has frozen family payments. If you've got children, so you're not get, you know, the, the, you, they've cut away at the family payments system. It's not as adequate as it was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and what we've seen is when we don't have an adequate revenue base, uh, the agenda is more user pays, out of pocket expenses for essential services. Um, we've seen, you know. Sort of the you know significant increase in out-of-pocket healthcare costs, um, significant increases in education costs, childcare, etc. These households, these are the traders we're making, and if we have this sort of over the seven years, when you look over the horizon to the, all the people in the various income tax brackets who will benefit from this and the costs that will have to the budget. I mean, Simon, I know you and I will have very different views around sort of the overall revenue take. 
Uh, but what we see is that with the predicted um, increase in costs for essential services over the time frame of this plan, um, you know, the, the, all this gets legislated and implemented, as sure as night follows day, we will be uh, talking again and again about further either increases in out-of-pocket expenses for essential services or major gaps and lack of services. It's bear in mind that part of the way the government is funding these tax cuts and returning the budget to a paper-thin surplus is because of the billions that they've cut out of Social Security and essential services mm. already. Mm. Okay. All right. Uh, look, in terms of the general predictions, I mean, I had to return to the debt and deficit disaster, mm. which was, uh, which was, of course, the, the mantra of the government uh, in its first incantations under Mr Hockey, the Treasurer. The debt and deficit disaster, we hear nothing about these days, uh, do we? Has uh, it gone away, Peter? Yeah, well, I think on, the, on these numbers it has um, actually um, gone away. Um, it's uh, remarkable what a difference five months can make. Five <laughs> months ago in, um, in the mid-year budget update, my EFO as it's called, in December, the uh, budget deficit was going to stay, or the budget surplus mm. w- when it came was going to stay at a, a paper-thin rate way out into the future. In fact, the graph was a spirit level. You could, uh, you could rest something on it and it wouldn't roll um, uh, all the way out as far as the eye could see at half a percent of GDP, which is uh, below the gov- what the government says y- you need a surplus to be a meaningful surplus. Now, suddenly it rises to 1% uh, and it rises beyond that. Also, debt, net debt starts falling right now as a percentage of GDP and keeps falling. So um, these problems are miraculously solved with one bound with three. <laughs> it's, uh, it's happened in the space of five months. Exactly. It's happened, it's happened for a number of reasons. One is, as I said, the, uh, the future fund money now comes uh, into the budget. It was uh, um, originally n- not going to do that, but uh, it's uh, coming in regardless of whether or not uh, public service pensions are, are properly funded. Um, and the other is that this... Uh, uh, sudden boost in revenue we've had as companies mm. have used up their losses, started paying tax. That, if you like, is a new flaw. So even if uh, f- your future growth in revenues you don't project to be as high as it's been now, and, and how could you? 22% increase in company tax revenue in the past year. Um, it, it starts from a higher floor, and that's been enough with perhaps some generous assumptions to mean that uh, you can't write about uh, debt and disaster, debt and deficit disaster anymore. Magically, the numbers have come together in the space <laughs> of five months that it's just not there. Debt starts falling as a proportion of GDP from today and goes straight down. Uh, you may be sceptical, but uh, that's what the budget numbers say. Yeah, so it's I, I hope that someone years, is sceptical. S- Simon, that? your own thoughts about about the debt and deficit disaster? Or is it is it it's suddenly all gone away? Is, is Peter Costello wrong when he said last night that most of us will be dead by the time Australia's national debt's paid off? Well, look, we've seen the sort of uh, projections that we see in this budget uh, at every budget since 2011. And, well, Wayne you know, Swan had some, memorably. He, that's right. He promised that he was delivering four surpluses, and, and none of that occurred. So mm. I think that the public has a right to be sceptical about some of those figures. Um, but I think the, the, the risk here is that any slight downturn in the global economy leaves Australia with basically nothing in the mm. kitty 
um, for a rainy day. That's we right. have record low interest rates. The RBA is already talking about those interest rates not really being effective if they were cut any more. Now, I'm a bit sceptical of that claim too, but when you're sitting there with $500 billion in debt, $350 billion in net debt, um, a structural deficit and, and no room in monetary policy, any sort of downturn is likely to have a much bigger impact than when we were at in 2008 where we had a $50 billion surplus and, and quite high interest rates. So uh, I don't think that we can say confidently that the problem is solved and gone away forever. Mm. All right, Simon Cowan from the Centre for Independent Studies, um, Cassandra Goldie from the <coughs> Council, Australian Council of Social Services and Peter Martin, the <coughs> Economic Senator for The Age, joining us tonight. Uh, we're talking about the, the budget and uh, getting a handle on uh, a document which some may have thought can, would contain more, but uh, maybe some sleepers in it. Cassandra, does it, is it any clearer from the budget now about the government's ability to to fund confidently into the future some of the big the bigger ticket items which to some extent have been kicked down the can, down the road in previous budgets particularly the NDIS and uh, and Gonski the second wave well this is a really big worry um, that uh, you know because our constituents and the broader community uh, won't forget you know the 2014 budget um, the fact that um, in that short space of four years, yes, some some of these external factors have changed, and of course, the particular picture around you know losses is a is as you say, Peter. You know, in terms of the corporate tax cut um, take, uh, we've got a slightly better picture there. But um, we have been starting from a low base on a lot of these fronts in terms of essential services and. Um, uh, as I say, we've got these few examples like mental health where, uh, you know, there's been some positive reactions to some of what's been done by the government on the mental health front tonight and the, the measures are welcome. But they're so modest, you know, 30 yeah. million here and there for, um, you know, a really big service system that needs to be built properly you know and I it hasn't been built. Mm. When I lived in Japan, Cassandra uh, and Phil and uh, mm. Simon, um, I went to a doctor, a Western doctor, and uh, earlier I'd been to a Japanese doctor, and uh, I said, look, um, is what the Japanese doctor's given me right? And he said, yeah, absolutely right. He said, they give you exactly the right medication, exactly the, what's indicated, but just tiny amounts. And that's basically what they've done yeah. in a whole lot of things yeah. in, in the budget, I, I, even, even in these... Um, you know, the tax cuts, the idea of doing something through the low-income tax offset isn't a bad idea, except the way they've designed it, they're actually giving low-income people the least. Uh, it's really as if they've decided to put all of their money, well, really into tax cuts, mm. and then to the extent that they've put it anywhere else, it's into old people. And yes, I worry about the NDIS. I think oh, that... Well, let, let's, talk, let's talk about it because I well, think can we, again, I mean, can I just ask the question again? Because there doesn't seem to be any any agreement uh, amongst the government or the opposition about a way forward. I mean, there's a lot of posturing and shouting about the fact that Labor says, "Oh, it's fully funded." The government doesn't agree with that, yeah. but there's no actual change in policy here to ensure that it is fully funded into the future. Is there? 
Um, well, you know, we ACOS was um, with the disability organisations very clear with our um, wanting to see a well-designed increase to the Medicare levy. We and that was popular. They'd won. People wanted that. Let the finish. And the... Well, I've... Agitated as well, Peter, on on this budget because um, you know this the, it is very easy for people to go. Oh, great! I'm going to ne- get an extra ten dollars here, but the consequences of what's being done tonight really worries us at ACOS. Um, the NDIS, um, the if you look over the medium term to the cost of that, it's an important social program that must be secured. Mm. And just in the last budget, the government was saying we need to raise an additional four billion. The the community was comfortable to, for that to be done Happy through, to the pay for it through the levy. We wanted to do some work on the design around base broadening, so that it was uh, you know ensured that people on higher incomes contributed to it. But that's disappeared, um, and so um, this this you know the disability organisations are quite rightly very concerned that what we will see is a real sort of cultural to save costs on the NDIS because we don't in other have words, enough room. In other words, it's set up to be pruned in the future. That's oh, right. I think so, this is, there's Simon, some, what are you, your own view about it? Uh, yeah, look, there's some very can, important... Sorry, yeah, no, go Sam, on, you Sam. finish then. I just, I just wanted to come back to the point that you were making, Simon, about, you know, sort of the the risks here um, and not having enough in the cupboard, right? And, I, and we share that concern. Um, you know, we had the GFC... Um, a lot of money was spent um, and the austerity measures that have been in the budget since then to sort of try and, you know, save money have overwhelmingly hit people on low incomes. And well, they've overwhelmingly money. failed. If you look at right? spending as a percentage of GDP, it's and, basically at the level it was in 2010. And we have one of the highest levels of household debt of any country, right? Let's remember that. That is one of the big risks in our economy and in and our social fabric, actually. And if we have a tick up in interest rates, we don't know what's around the corner globally, we are really going to, we're at risk. And so we've, we wanted it to be a very cautious budget to really target the spending where it was needed and for us to have a story about a return to surplus in a way that we could have some confidence that we would have the room to deal with these kinds of shocks if they happen in the future. Because we know it's going to be the vulnerability communities that will pay the price. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, Simon, you were about to... Inter- yeah, so there's some really important points, I think, on the NDIS. The first, the first point is that when you've got a $30 billion deficit, there is no individual piece of funding, uh, the, of spending that is funded. So the idea that the NDIS was fully funded when the deficit sat at $30 billion is an absolute myth, right? So we, you can't say that the NDIS was funded when there's this massive deficit unless there's some sort of lockbox arrangement that keeps funding separate, which mm-hmm. which didn't apply in this place, in this case. But well, they what said they did seen, with the Medicare levy. But they could have done that with the Medicare they, levy. They could have done this, they, but neither side of politics wanted to lock that money up. Now, we've seen in this budget $10 billion of additional funding goes into the NDIS this year as it starts to ramp up. Every single projection that I've seen of the NDIS suggests it's going to grow at something like 6 to 7%, uh, faster than GDP, faster than inflation. Um, so we will need to fund it significantly into correct, the future. Correct, correct. That, that, uh, that is the issue that's been sitting there as a sleeper, and I suppose that's the reason I'm raising it, because the government once again hasn't addressed this issue, have they? I mean, and this would be what? three years in a row they haven't addressed it. But realistically, if the budget with the NDIS projections in it moves to surplus of $11 billion over the forward estimates, if that actually happened, 
then the NDIS would in fact be funded and the increases in the NDIS would be funded. Mm. I, I'm not particularly concerned about the idea that the NDIS is going to be cut because it's simply one of the most popular reforms that's actually been passed in the last decade. Mm. It's right at the bottom. Uh, you know, if you've got a, a vehicle by which people are happy to pay tax increases to fund, um, there's not a lot of scope for, for cutting. That's why the foreign aid budget gets cut every year uh, and the NDIS spending is going up. You know, welfare spending goes up another $15 billion in this budget. Yes, at the rate they're cutting foreign aid, then we'll, there'll be no form of foreign aid very shortly. Um, look, just quickly, I'm on company tax cuts, so I do want to move on to aged care. Uh, as the government, Simon, just maybe to you on this, has the government basically given up on these company tax cuts? Do you think that they, that they know they can't get them through the Senate? I think they'll give them another shot. I mean, there's some senators there that one of the things about having a, a significant increase in revenue and spending it on infrastructure and, and other things is that you've got some money to buy some senators who might think they're in their last year of public life, um, given the way that the election is likely to, to, to sort of pan out um, for the Senate in particular. So th- there may be scope to move there. Uh, but I, I think realistically, unfortunately, those of us in favour of the company tax cut ha- have lost the debate. Uh, I think one of the ironic things about about this budget is that the increase in company tax cut in company tax receipts over the last two years would have paid something like a third to a half of the ten year cost of the company tax cut. So, you know, it's, I just think it's interesting that massive whack of revenues coming from companies, but they, uh, uh, we can't afford to for them to pay a slight bit less. Mm. Cassandra Goldie, uh, to you on, on aged care, there, as you said, there, were, <laughs> there wasn't a lot going on in the budget apart from the tax cuts. Aged care was something that was going on. There have been a few changes here. Your thoughts on, on uh, particularly the $1.6 billion over four years for older Australians to, to stay in to stay at home and get nursing care at home. That's going to be popular, isn't it? Great. Absolutely. Desperately needed. Um, It's the right direction in terms of what we should be doing with aged care, but I just, again... You know, it's it's it doesn't cover the hundred thousand gap. Um, this is this is part of what we have. We, we must grapple with the reality that we've got an aging population. Um, there's increasing need for you know um, having access to um, these kinds of support services. And um, when we were arguing the toss, frankly, over the Medicare levy, we said, well, look. You know, it's not just about the NDIS. This is actually ensuring that we've got adequate revenue to cover these uh, these areas where we're very go- we're likely to see inevitable increase in real growth needed in terms of service service mm. provision. Um, and uh, look, you know, the the um, there's a, some uh, welcome uh, ten thousand wage subsidies available for mature age workers. Um, it's something that we've uh, promoted. Uh, because we do think it well, is good it makes to a provide because nothing much else seems to make a difference to, for employ- mm-hmm. absolutely um, you know we say well why just mature age workers you know gee there's a few young people and others locked out of you know getting a break in, into the um, market I hope we don't see the community turn this into a divisive debate between young young people and older people I've been struck actually watching comments coming back mm. on the budget from the community a number of older people are saying actually we don't want some of this you know the beneficial stuff for us tax cuts we're really worried about young people new start etc so I think it'll be very interesting to see how the community reads this mm. um, you know it's got the I think that was kind of notable for me when the treasurer said well what's in it for me and I think oh, I think people are going what's in it for us as a community 
um, have we got the balance right here? And we don't think we have. Mm. Peter, you're a bit of a fan of this scheme announced tonight too that will enable oh, pensioners, yes. pensioners to, basically pensioners in the future will be able to borrow extra money from the government on a concessional rate which would only be payable back from their estate when they die. So in other words, they could, get, they could get additional pension. We have it at the moment. We it's do. called uh, the. It's misleadingly named the uh, Pensioner Loan Scheme, misleadingly because it's not available to pensioners. Uh, it's available to people well, who can't get the pension. Well, it's available to part pensioners. Yeah, it's not available to, to, to full pension. Mm. So, but yeah. it will be. It will be now. And uh, the uh, good thing about it is that um, you know, we have reverse mortgage schemes. You, you you can go to a private bank if you want. I mm. don't know why you would want to, given all you've heard and uh, you, your concern at the end of your life. This is with the government at a 5.5% rate of interest. You can borrow up to the amount of the pension and it'll be taken out of your estate when you die. Now, I said that we have the scheme at the moment. I've been able to get uh, from Treasury officials the uh, number of people who use that scheme at the moment. Um, I don't know if you'd like to hazard a guess. I'll tell you. 700. Throughout Australia, yes, 30 $700. Million. $30 million okay. is so the total it, value of the loads outstanding. So it's, uh, it's, not, it's exactly, not, not exactly a massive scheme, no. It's a clever, it's a clever scheme. And the, the really sad thing is when you see people who can't spend money on themselves who have very expensive houses. Of course they don't want, and it's not their fault they're very expensive, they just became very expensive. Of course they don't want to move. Uh, and, you know, they shouldn't move. It, and neither um, should they, no. no. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, um, some of them probably should because it would be beneficial for them and for the community if they did. Well, yeah, that's but, true, but, but Simon. The There's is, a whole infrastructure set up to stop that happening. And yeah. our extra years of life are being added... Uh, uh, if you like, in the healthy years, so rather than the the unhealthy years, uh, also of course it's very hard to, to move to somewhere in your own suburb uh, that's got uh, you know a, appropriate housing. But uh, it, people tend to like to live in their own houses uh, as long as they can, um, and some of them are impoverishing themselves unnecessarily. Now, my dad, right? He he's uh, he's eighty eight. Um, when he dies, his, his son will be well into his 60s. I don't need to inherit his house. Um, uh, uh, so so uh, if he can get money easily, painlessly, out of his house without needing to sell it, without needing to go to a bank who he thinks will rip them off, it's a, it's a stunning win-win. I, I wrote about this in 2014, said the government should do it. Richard Dennis from the Australia Institute wrote about it and said that and... Um, Gus G, yeah, I don't know if they ever mm. read what we wrote, but uh, maybe good I ideas for many fathers. The, I, th- I think they read the 45,000 words that we, we wrote about how you wrote a about scheme it. like this could, <laughs> well, be, could be set up. Okay, you okay, did too. Okay, guys, pins down. Uh, <laughs> bear in mind, you've got to have a home and you've got to have some big equity in it, and there's a whole Correct. lot of people who, who don't. don't have that. And, and but there are 25% con- of pensioners who do have a million along. dollars. And increasingly, people won't have something like this. Unfortunately, the government predicts that. Yeah, uh, Peter gave your guessing game of how much uh, the total value of the scheme's worth. The uh, projections of the additional uh, participants in this scheme is $11 million. So I would not expect uh, the government's going to be beaten down the door. Just um, no. just a couple of things before we go. Uh, infrastructure, the government's banged on about infrastructure a lot. So the uh, state's constantly vying for it too. Is there a winner and loser out of this? I mean, Victoria's headlining in their papers tomorrow that uh, Victoria's done well. Uh, New South Wales, maybe not, maybe less so. Uh, 
Is, are the figures of $24 billion that have been bandied around in the budget real figures? They're real, but they're real after a delay. Curiously, um, much of the money comes forward after four years, just beyond the budget forward estimates. Also, uh, some of the money is, uh, as has happened before, it's happened with the NBN, it's happened with the uh, Brisbane to, to Melbourne Inland Rail, uh, it's happened with the Western Sydney Airport, is off budget. And they do this magic trick where it doesn't appear in the budget. They have to assert with a straight face that they're investing in a profit-making corporation. Now, you may believe that the Tullamarine Airport to City Railway Service will be profit-making, and the government will tell you that with a straight face, just like they'll tell you the NBN was profit-making or the Inland Rail will be profit-making, and that way they can keep it off the budget. So there's some tricks in this, but yes, Victoria, after being, uh, you know, with uh, 25% of the nation's population, it's got about 10% of the Commonwealth infrastructure spending. The imminence of an election appears to have uh, uh, mm. uh, made the, uh, the government pay as much attention to Victoria, almost as much, as it does to Queensland. Mm. Simon, your view about infrastructure spending? Look, I think the real question with infrastructure spending is, is are these the right projects? Now, That's the unfortunate very part good of this yeah. <laughs> is that we, we have no way of knowing the answer to that. Now, to a certain extent, our politicians are elected to... I thought we had an advisory to, body to tell us these things. Yeah, well, <laughs> our politicians are elected to represent us, and, and so they should be re- reflecting the views of the community, but it's not really clear that the investments being made are the right ones, and we're starting to see more partisan disagreement over where infrastructure dollars should be spent, and I think that's an unfortunate part of this. Um, and, of course, governments like to trumpet the uh, the big line of the total spend. I'd far rather they spent less but spent it more efficiently uh, and rather than saying we're going to spend $10 billion in Queensland or Victoria, saying we're going to deliver these projects as cheaply as we can uh, because I think there's this sense that spending more money is somehow uh, inevitably and, and always a good thing and I'm not sure that that's the right way to approach these projects and that's one of the reasons I think why infrastructure spending costs in Australia are so much higher than they are in the rest of the world. Mm. And if I can, just on that theme, I think... Um, the the stakes are really high when you open up these kinds of big projects. I mean, in the end, they cost if you get it wrong. They always and, run and, over budget. And, and big <laughs> time they cost, both economically and socially. Um, and often the government will tie together the story about big infrastructure spending with jobs. But that's what we're doing here. We're also investing in, you know, uh, building things. And so it's going to open up a whole lot of, you know, a, a greater activity in the real economy. Now, that can be the case or not. And who is to benefit from those jobs? And uh, if we're going to have something that is really well designed and well planned, we should be asking the right questions about where this pipeline of infrastructure you know, projects have come from, what kind of advice, the cost-benefit analysis, uh, where the planning design has come from, and what is the social benefit 
uh, arrangements associated with it, including the pathway to employment opportunities um, for where these projects will take some time to, to, to put down. We want to see employment opportunities for people who are struggling mm. in the labour market. And the thing is, doing that would not be difficult in the same way that fixing bracket creep is really easy. The unfortunate part is that all the political incentives go the other way. If the government can't announce that they're building a new library or oval or school or something in a marginal electorate, then they lose a lot of the incentive to to pass these projects. I mean, you know, if we had an independent body that did this, governments wouldn't be able to hand out pork barrelling. That would be great for people who believe in fiscal responsibility, but it's terrible for people who believe in politics. Mm. Can we start a new party? Can can, can we agree? Firstly, there will be tax indexation so so that... Uh, any I gave up believing in any politician's promises on tax years ago when, when if they simply promised tax indexation, I'd believe them. But, of course, they never do. Uh, and, uh, that they can, and that they cannot promise uh, a new infrastructure project unless it has been ranked in the top ten or top five most worthwhile projects by a body such as Infrastructure mm. Australia. OK, cuts to foreign aid, cuts to the ABC. This is on top of further cuts to the ABC uh, the first time round. Cuts to, cuts to Centrelink. We've cuts got to Centrelink. Tw- 1,200 jobs, I think, going there whilst we're outsourcing to... Is, is it, a, is it a, an election budget, Simon? And, and we've also just... Um, just uh, I have to highlight this. Mm. The government has now said that if you're a newly arrived migrant, you will not have any access to any kind of supports, income supports for four years. For four years, that's true. Two. Unless so you're they a refugee. Get, couldn't get, they couldn't get, yeah, they couldn't get through the three-year wait, and now they're extending it out to four. Um, they've managed to find $300 million to extend robo-debt. Yeah. So you, happy to pursue the sort of what, get tough on people on Social Security um, they All haven't right. dealt with those zombie measures that they should have in terms of social okay. security cuts we're gonna, and we're gonna have to some pretty up. nasty stuff in the <laughs> remote areas as well. All right. Um, thank you. We, we'll have to wind up because uh, time has flown from us and uh, another budget has come and gone. And as we, Where does it go? As we have seen in the <laughs> past, of course, whether or not some of these measures actually see the light of day will depend very much on the fluid situation in the National Parliament as well. So don't necessarily write it all down just at this point. I do thank you for your time. Peter Martin, Economics Editor for The Age. Uh, Pleasure. Cass- Cassandra Goldie, Chief Executive of the Council of oh, the Australian Council of Social Services. Thanks, Cassandra. And uh, Simon Cowan from the Centre for Independent Studies. Thank you, Simon. Absolute pleasure.